Welcome to the All 32 Podcast with your host, Connor Miles. Thank you for tuning in to the All 32 Podcast. I'm your host, Connor Miles. With me, as always, is my partner in crime, Ryan Sanders. What an episode we got going for you today, folks. Let me just tell you right now. Uh, March Madness has begun for us. We're, getting, we're, we're doing our own version of March Madness up in here. So... We're going to discuss Malcolm Butler, look at the winners and losers of free agency, get into the City Jones injury and how it affects the cornerback position in this upcoming draft because that's, a, that's been a hot topic of debate lately when you're looking at all these corners. And then we're going to interview, yes, a player, a former player interview with one of the greatest corners at really turning over the ball, making plays, scoring for a team when they need it. Really a boost for any defense he was on. Asante Samuel. I'm going to talk to him and see. I don't think the, the picture has been painted enough of how his Philly tenure ended. But really, how it began. So we're going to talk to him a little bit because he was always you know, he was always a great personality to the media. But he, but he kept his he kept the business issues away from them. He just he would brush them off. So uh, we're going to find out. What, what what went on? Like what? How did his Eagles tenure end? I know Eagles fans know how it went down. Uh, he's gonna he's gonna really break it down for us, and uh, we can't wait to talk to him here shortly at the end of this episode. But first, Malcolm Butler, restricted free agent of the Patriots, their top corner of the last couple of seasons, has been meeting with the Saints. Ryan, what do you think about that one? Um, I, I find that pretty interesting because. The Patriots recently having just made a trade with the um, with the Saints to acquire Brandon Cooks, uh, there wasn't clarity initially whether or not Butler was actually involved in those deals. He wound up actually not being in the deal. So I think it's funny that the top team um, that's piqued his interest thus far has been the Saints. Uh, Lord knows the Saints need some sort of defense and a guy like Malcolm Butler, uh, obviously famous for his Super Bowl winning interception against the Seahawks, can provide some sort of security in the secondary. Um, the question that will be raised for me is the Patriots don't really seem to mind him meeting with other teams. Does that mean that they're confident that he was a product of the system? Or they're just not willing to pay the player, which has been something that they they kind of do quite often. They don't really like to pay their players. Um, it's going to cost the Saints a lot if they if they do to end up acquiring uh, Malcolm Butler. So I'm still really not sure whether or not it's the player or the system, but usually the. I have to side with the Patriots in any decision that they make because it seems to to be working out for them in the last 15 years or so. Yeah, I'm going to touch on my my feelings on this after this part, but uh, as everybody knows, Malcolm Butler is a restricted free agent. I think people really lose sight of how restricted free agency works in the NFL because usually players don't get signed away as of late uh, during this period, but he has a first-round tender on him. So that means if if the Saints were to sign him to an offer sheet and the Patriots refused to match it, the Saints would have to give up a first round pick. Now he can sign and pay him. Now he can sign that tender 
with the Patriots, and they can trade him for whatever he wants. Now, that's the route I would believe the Saints would like to go personally because they don't want to give up a first-round pick for him. Because if they give up a first-round pick for him, they're most likely giving the Patriots the 11th pick. So they basically get Malcolm Butler and the 32nd pick for Brandon Cooks and the 11th pick. So again, I, I don't see a scenario where the Saints are willing to do that. Uh, I think, if anything, they'll work something out with the Patriots where the Patriots sign him on his tender he's on right now and then trade him to the Saints for draft pick compensation, probably a second-round pick, in my opinion at least. But uh, if that's if that's not, not how the Patriots want to do it, if they want to just uh, dare the – which, I mean, would suck because I, I don't see that's how it going down – Honestly, because it looks like they're ready to move on. The Patriots, it looks like they've already, I mean, they played Stephon Gilmore $14 million per season. They have Eric Rowe under the wings that they traded for the Philadelphia Eagles. They brought back their exclusive uh, restricted free agent in uh, Justin Coleman. So it looks like they're already like ready for uh, Malcolm Butler to depart. Uh, they're just waiting for the final shoe to drop, and he's visiting with the Saints, so that might be the final, that might be the shoe that drops. And of course, they gave up the first for Brandon Cooks. They also sent their second to Carolina Panthers for Coney Ely and a third-round pick. So they're not picking till the third round this year. So uh, if Butler really isn't a part of their long-term plans and that's the way it's looking right now, I could definitely see them signing him to that tender and getting that second-round pick from the Saints back for his services. I just don't think uh, that the Saints are willing to give up the 11th pick. I just don't see it at all. But uh, to your point of him being probably a system player. I, I tend to agree. I think it speaks volumes. The Patriots invested 14 million per season in Stefan Gilmore, who's coming off two disappointing seasons in Rex Ryan's system up in Buffalo. Uh, they see something like we touched on last episode. They see something that clearly I don't. And obviously Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick for a reason. And I'm just the guy making a podcast, but, uh, they clearly value Gilmore over Belder. That's that's no secret now. So if I'm the Saints, that alarms me. Uh, there has to be something going on there. He was an undrafted free agent. Nobody knew him coming out. Uh, Patriots pick him up. He makes that big play in the Super Bowl his rookie year, and then he's a starting quarter for them. He replaced Revis, and he became the starting corner for them ever since, the starting left corner for them ever since. Uh, after two great seasons, though, as a starter, they're willing to move on is – I think baffling to the average fan, but of course, uh, they promised they sold him last season. They're not going to pay a corner over ten million annually. They're just not going to do it. And then they go ahead and they give Gilmore way over that. So obviously, they see something that to the average fan that we're not seeing because they're willing to move on like this. And like you said, usually when the Patriots do something, they're they're most likely right. But uh, I, I think a lot of people are going to, speaking of Asante Samuel, I think a lot of people are going to bring up like, well, the Patriots were okay to move on without Asante Samuel, and he was still a great player when he went to the Eagles, and he was productive on the Falcons too, so we, so why wouldn't Butler? I get that, but, and again, Samuel was only a fourth-round pick, so he developed through the Patriots system and became the player that he is, that he was back then for the Eagles and the Falcons, but... Uh, I still think it's something fishy about the Malcolm Butler situation where he's putting up great numbers, all prototype numbers, and they're willing to move on. So, especially every corner who's regressed these last two seasons. So, again, I, I think I would be very cautious giving a first-round pick for him. I personally would not do it. 
No, I, I, I personally wouldn't do it either. But the Saints are a franchise that in the last few seasons is just known for making um, very short-sighted deals for very short-sighted trades, things like that. Um, I mean, where should I start? The signing of Jarris Bird was disastrous. Uh, the trading of Darren Sproles, disastrous. The big contract that they gave to C.J. Spiller and cut before uh, one season was even complete on, disastrous. So the, the front office seems to be very incompetent. Um, and when you're dealing with a shark like Bill Belichick, and you're a franchise that's known for making extremely poor decisions in regards to their personnel and their draft picks. I have a strong suspicion that Bill Belichick is going to win this. Yeah. Mickey Loomis is one of the worst general managers in the NFL. So again, I could see your point to that. I could definitely see the scenes making this move. They have two first round picks. So, and they feel entitled to building a defense around Drew Brees for his final run because the window's closing with him, but I think people would argue, then why would you trade Brandon Cooks? And I just think they knew that they can win without Brandon Cooks. Like, they knew they can win without Kenny Stills. Uh, I mean, be, excuse me, not win, because that's not what they're doing. Be productive. Yes, exactly. Um, well, I mean, either way, regardless of how it shakes down, whether he signs a tender and they trade him, or they, they sign him to an offer sheet, either way, the Patriots are going to benefit from the departure of Malcolm Butler, because like you said, they shirt up their secondary backfield already, and they're going to be receiving some sort of um, some sort of reparation and gives them a pick earlier in this year's draft. So it's a win-win for them. It just is it going to be a first or is it going to be a second? I I, I don't want to see the Patriots have no leverage because they can just keep him on his tender and play with him throughout the season. He's going to be disgruntled by me. And again, the Patriots know what they're doing here. They've been through this with Asante Samuel. They franchise tagged him. When Samuel wanted no part of the franchise tag, he wanted a long-term extension. Patriots wouldn't give it to him. He was frustrated, but they still played out the season, and he was still a productive player for them, helped them win big games. So they can they can play this a season out and then let Butler walk. Uh, they so I don't want to say they don't have any leverage, but it, at the same time, team. I mean, the Saints know that uh, Butler is not a part of their long-term plans. They clearly were are much higher on Stephon Gilmore than they are him. So uh, I would offer the second-round pick. I would I would see how it works out and let the Patriots sign him to his tender and offer the second-round pick for him, especially during the draft when the Patriots are sitting all the way back with their late day three pick. Uh, not late. I mean, they got the Panthers third pick. So, I mean, but still, you had to wait that long into day three to draft. Uh, I think your Bill Belichick, that's going to make you a little anxious. I think you're going to want to move up in the draft and make it, make a draft big move. It, it could be a draft day move, so. That's what I'm saying. I think maybe that's when we see Butler traded, but depends how this one, it depends how this meeting went with the Saints, too. It depends how they view him after meeting with him, but... Uh, From my understanding, it went pretty well. Uh, both sides seemed pretty comfortable with each other when they went out to dinner, um, according to Josina Anderson, at least. So, it looks like they're comfortable with each other. It's just, are they ready to move forward with some sort of deal? Yeah, again, I just cannot see... The Saints are sitting at number 11. They probably are in the range of guys like Quincy Wilson, Gary on Conley, uh... Tredavious White. I just cannot see them saying, 
we'll give up the 11th pick for a guy who's going to be on a one-year deal over right. maybe the ceiling that Quincy Wilson or Conley have, for example. I just don't see them doing that. Uh, pretty sure they cannot give up the 30-second pick. I'm pretty sure that's done with now. They have to keep that. Uh, so we'll see. I think they give up a second-round pick for him. I do think Butler ends up in New Orleans, probably, like you said, by the draft. And uh, yeah, I just think it would be smarter if... Obviously, the Patriots are not going to be picking the first round this year if the if the Saints don't sign Butler to uh, offer sheet. As long yeah, as long as they don't sign to an offer sheet, they won't be picking the first round this year. So maybe they get in the second round, which is a day later than the first round. You win the first round, you win that day. Your talks with the Saints a little heat up. You get Butler to sign that tender with the promises of trading him to the Saints. And then you come back day two of the draft and you send him to New Orleans for that second round pick, which is a high pick still. Uh, so yeah, absolutely, especially with, with how deep this draft is. Yeah, so I can, I think I think you're right there. I think that's when we're going to see a back and Butler trade happen. All right, so speaking of the Patriots, they might get back in the first round. Actually, I know I'm just contradicting myself right now, but uh, let's throw this theory out there. This is a theory. There's no reports. I mean, they've been the Browns have the Cleveland Browns have been linked to Jimmy Garoppolo for quite some time since the offseason started. So, uh, this isn't news to anybody who's been paying attention to the NFL. But it seems the Patriots have been a little hesitant in dealing with him. Maybe because they know that even though Brady says he wants to play well into his forties, that's not realistic. Maybe they're high high on him more than people thought they were. I know they drafted Jacoby Brissett in the third round of the 2016 draft, but maybe, maybe those four games with Jamie G, a couple games with Jimmy G, showed them something where uh, they want to hang on to him. But again, they're without a first round pick. I just, it, I, I, it would, it would surprise me. I know last year they had two second round picks and they were fine with that, but it would surprise me with how you're, you know, your windows closing with Brady. You're probably looking at. Maybe a a stud pass rusher at twelve, who you again you you don't really have that much of now. Uh, you let your ball share go to the Colts. You you release Chris Long. You want nothing to do with him anymore. You take in a project guy like Coney Ely, who really has not lived up to any of his expectations as a second round pick yet. You're hoping he will there. He probably will, but again, it's not something you can bank on. You're looking at number twelve. And you're looking at guys like maybe Solomon Thomas, Derek Barnett, names like that. And the Browns are willing to give you the 12th overall pick for Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, I would not be that surprised if it happened. I'm not saying we'll have it on a draft night because I think this is too much of a big trade to materialize during the draft. But maybe, maybe the Patriots have a couple pre-draft visits with these top edge rushers and they decide hey, we're going to need to boost our pass rush with losing what we have and not adequately replacing Chandler Jones yet. Maybe with five years. Listen, I said this before. There was no way the Patriots were comfortable giving Chandler Jones the money or uh, with the cap inflation and the market going up an extra year. There was no way they were comfortable giving that much money to Chandler Jones that the Giants gave to Olivier Vernon. Okay. You don't have to when you take an edge rusher at 12. You have five years of him under rookie contract control. So maybe 
they do these pre-draft visits with this, those guys that I named, Taco Charlton, to throw in there. And they go, well, maybe we trade out for that. Maybe we trade Jimmy G for that 12th pick, bring in one of these edge rushers, and develop Jacoby Brissett a little bit more, just in case Brady doesn't play well into his 40s. I think that is something that could materialize at this point. You're really dry in the cupboard of draft picks. It's not like you need to bring in a lot of rookies. You got Dante Hightower back. You brought in Gilmore. You got Brandon Cooks, who's the electric playmaker to your offense. You signed Rex Burkhead, who's pretty much just like uh, Danny Woodhead clone. Your offense is looking pretty good. Your defense is looking pretty good. But your pass rush is, let's just say, nothing to hang your hat on. I can see this move materializing. What about you, Ryan? Oh, I most certainly can see a deal like that uh, materializing. Um, They're already comfortable moving forward without trading Jimmy G and the the picks that they do have. Um, So for them to give up Jimmy G, acquire a first-round pick like the 12th pick, I feel like they could do wonders with that. Like you said, pass rush really is probably their only place of dire need at this point. And giving a great edge rusher to a guy like Matt Patricia, the defensive coordinator for the Patriots, I think that really could help. Um, And even if they didn't feel comfortable with having Jacoby Brissett, as the backup, I'm sure they could pull a guy off the streets and get him comfortable enough to take over in a one-game, two-game, three-game scenario. Or, depending on how the dra- the draft shakes down, maybe they can use that six-round pick that they got from the Colts and draft a quarterback and groom him. Because it's not like they haven't done that before. Yeah, I mean, and again, you're looking at... After this season, really... You're losing really a lot of leverage with Jimmy Garoppolo and and trade talks because again he was drafted in the two let's say around the 2014 draft. He's on the last year of his deal. I mean, if there's any time to trade him, it's 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 gonna be this offseason. So uh again, your edge rushes are not that impressive. They're nothing to hang your hat on. You look at these guys in this draft. Me, I mean, I think it would be really telling. I think everybody should keep their eye on for their pre-draft visits, who they bring in. If they, if they did, even if it's a first round prospect, no matter who it is, if it's a first round prospect, you have to think that they're considering getting a draft pick at some point. Whether it be they don't feel like giving up Malcolm Butler, they want him on the tender, they force the Saints to give him a first round pick if they're truly interested, or if they think that they could ship off Jimmy Dree to the Browns. Because again, the Browns have no, no type of commitment to keeping Brock Osweiler. It seems like if they can't trade him, they will cut him and just take the, the cap hit that they have to take. Either way, they have the money to pay him and let him cut, and cut him next year for no no charge whatsoever against their cap. They clearly don't believe in him, as they shouldn't. Yeah, you know what? It depends on how long they've been talking. In my opinion, I feel like, because the Browns are the type of franchise where it might get to the the 12th pick and maybe a guy that they wanted got selected at 11 and they're like, whoops, we're the Browns. Let's just trade for Jimmy G. 
That's a very Browns-like move. I don't know. Last week, we were saying don't count the Browns out now, but when push comes to shove, are they still the Browns? I, I, I mean, I would not rule out Jimmy G the Browns. I just don't think it would have it on draft line. This is too big of a trade to materialize overnight. Oh, absolutely. If you make a trade like this on draft line, you have to have... Like there had been talks already. Like this had like, this seems like a very hard to trade to materialize, just with one phone call. Uh, no, no, this is this is gonna be a premeditated thing that's that's been discussed over the the weeks going into the draft. If it's not done before the draft, yeah, I just I just, I mean I just with the Patriots how their draft picks are now, how they're set up, how they're not picking until yeah round three at seven. They're not taking. A player out of this draft to the seventy second pick. I don't know. I mean, it just seems like they they might have something up their sleeve, like where nobody's expecting them to, which would be insane if they could pull that off. That would be insane. Uh, all the moves that they made this offseason just to go back and get a higher pick than they've already had. Oh, that'd be insane to me. I mean, getting Brandon Cooks is already getting a first round pick in itself. Uh, using thirty second pick to acquire Brandon Cooks is a no brainer to me. He's just a huge playmaker for that offense, and he's still fairly young. Uh, it made a lot of sense to for the Pages to make that move, but if they can go ahead and get a pick twenty spots higher than they than they were originally picking, and walk away with Brandon Cook still, I mean that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, that's just Bill Belichick being Bill Belichick. But uh, I just I just wouldn't personally. I would not rule this trade out. I think it's definitely uh, a possible scenario that I think more people should consider. Uh, leading up to the draft. All right, moving on, we're going to take a look at who we believe are the winners and losers of free agency. I'm going to start off with my winners. First, I'm going to give it to the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, I just think they had a pretty solid offseason. Uh, there's a couple more moves I'd like to see them make, but again, uh, getting a safety like Tony Jefferson, who clearly needed more snaps. He was just talking to them in Arizona. He's a, he, he seems like a ball hawk type of safety. So to have him, especially since they've had really a, a they haven't had a really solemn tandem at safety since Ed Reed. Really, uh, I mean, James James Adibio, Like I, I really can't think of like a great tandem they have. Now they have Eric Weddle and Tony Jefferson's in the mix. I like that because I think Tony Jefferson. Compliments Eric Weddle's game very well. Uh, I think he's a. Tr- I think we get a lot of turnovers for the Ravens. I love that move for Baltimore. I think a lot of people should open their eyes to that defense. And then bringing back Brandon Williams, I think was huge. I think he. This might seem like a little bit of a hot take. This might seem like a little hit a bit of a hot take, but at this point in the in Terrell in Terrell Suggs' career, at this point in CJ Mosley's career. In this point in Jimmy Smith's career, I think Brandon Williams is the best player on that defense. I mean, I, he's the best. It's just the stats might not back up. If you're if you're a box score checker, that might not back up my claim. But I mean, this man really, really, the defense runs around him. Uh, takes the ball. I mean, especially in a three four. To be that effective as a nose tackle to open up gaps for your pass rushers. Uh, without Brandon Williams, I don't think Suggs is productive, honestly. So, and Jimmy Smith, uh, 
availability is your best ability. And CJ Mosley, he's great, solid inside linebacker. He's only going to continue to get better. But again, I think people really, really sleep on the impact Brandon Williams has on that defense. He's a great player, uh, second best nose tackle in the NFL behind Damon Harrison. I think a lot of people sleep on the fact that they brought him back. That was a great move by the Ravens to make sure that they kept him. And then, of course, they had Danny Woodhead to a passing game that really needs to keep upgrading itself. I know they lost to Smith, which is going to hurt more than people expected to. Uh, it looks like they're going to go with Mike Williams. I mean, excuse me, Mike Wallace and Brashard Perryman. Uh, Kamara Aiken's still a free agent. I think you might want to consider bringing him back. Uh, he did have... 900 plus yards for you in 2015 with all the injuries that happens that offense he was still finding ways to produce I think you would want to add that back especially since Perryman and Wallace are the same caliber wide receivers so you need a guy that can be like um I want to say like a, a type of possession guy because I do believe uh, you can you could throw to Aiken all over the field it doesn't matter where and he'll get you he'll rack up the catches for you but uh if he has no interest in his market right now I would like I would wait on it until the draft and see how you, how you, this draft pans out when you get that type of wide receiver. Maybe Mike Williams falls to your pick in the first round, and you consider him to complement Perryman and and Wallace's skill sets. That's an option. Um, so right now, maybe that's what they're doing. But uh, if if you have a sense that Aiken is getting picked up or you his market's heating up, I think you should find a way to retain him. But again, going back to Danny Woodhead point, they added a dynamic out of the backfield that they really haven't had. They gave another passing option to Joe Flacco, which is good. That's what they needed to do. Well, since that run game really hasn't been the most consistent thing since Wilson Gahey and Ray Rice days, uh, I think giving Woodhead, adding that dynamic to your backfield was a smart move. I like that pick up for the Ravens. So again, I think the Ravens, they're not, they're not exciting moves. They're not moves that really make you jump out of your seat and peg them as division winners already. But uh, I think they've made a lot of solid additions that will come, and I think they'll play their best football as members of the Ravens. And then my other winner, I'm going to go with the Eagles. Uh, I I don't want to sound biased and toot my, my own team's horn, but uh, you got that wide receiver one and now Sean Jeffrey that you desperately needed. Uh, you really, really emphasized on, on adding – around Carson Wentz in that offense when you bring in Alshon Jeffrey. And then you brought in the perfect complimentary wide receiver to Jeffrey's skill set, to me, in my opinion, and Torrey Smith. And you gave him a deal that wasn't even ridiculous. I mean, 500K guaranteed. Uh, I think that I think that also goes into my winners. My my winners pick for free agency is just how how well they structured these deals. Um, You get a former top 10, top 10 pick in Chance Warmack who has not lived up to that potential yet. But again, you got him for one year, uh, one one point two twenty five million, and you put him back with the offensive line coach that he thrived with in Alabama. To me, I just think the Eagles really want free agency. I mean, I I know nobody wants to win or lose free agency. They don't care about that. It doesn't translate to success on the football field, but. Uh, your, your your number one priority was to build around Carson Wentz, get him more weapons, and so he can come out and really develop his game even more next year to a higher level than he showed in his rookie year. And I think he did that. I mean, Alshon Jeffrey has he has the caliber of being a top ten wide receiver. Uh, you get him on this one year deal where he feels completely disrespected by his market and what the what the salary was looking like on the open market. You get him on a one year deal that really only I think. 8.75 million of it's guaranteed and the rest is incentives up to 14 million which is just amazing 
in itself for wide receivers caliber. Uh, to me, I just think getting a guy who with his mindset where it's just listen, I'm I'm out here to prove myself. I know I am a top ten wide receiver. Uh, I I'm, I'm gonna show it to you this season because I'm hungry. It, to give that to your to your young quarterback in Wentz, I think that's amazing. So again, I like everything the Eagles have done so far this whole season. They again they need to really invest in maybe a vet corner or a defensive tackle like Jonathan Hankins, something like that. Uh, but again, I mean, I, the, your main priority was to build around Wentz. You did that. Great all season so far. And I'm going to move on to my losers. Uh, my first loser is going to be the Bengals. I just, after the season they had last year, where I I just think that it was the final straw. Marvin Lewis is definitely on the hot seat now. There's no way around it. And they go into the offseason and lose their really their best offensive lineman in Zeitler. They lose Andrew Woodward to the Rams. So now your offensive line is weaker behind Andy Dalton, who does have an injury history. And a couple running backs who really, I mean, Gio Bernard's coming off an injury. Jeremy Hill has not lived up to his breakout year in his rookie season. Adrian Green's coming off an injury. Andy Dalton has an injury history that can't be ignored. And then you weaken the O-line? And you don't even try to retain these guys? Uh, I can understand Whitworth to a point because he's getting up there in age and they did draft his replacement in Cedric Adube. But uh, losing Zeitler like that was just not a good move. He's a top five offensive guard. That was a great move by the Browns to pick him up. But for the Bengals not even retain him, it just doesn't make sense to me. And then they went ahead and, and of course... They used their money and their resources on bringing back Drake Kirkpatrick with an already big logjam at corner. Pac-Man Jones is probably ending his career, so I guess you kind of understand it, but they drafted Kennard in the first round out of Michigan State a couple years back in 2014 draft. And last year, they drafted William Jackson out of Houston, who missed the season with torn ACL, but again, you invested a first round picking him. But then you go and give five years, 10-plus million to Drake Kirkpatrick, it just doesn't make sense to me. Uh, I don't know. At this point in Pac-Man's career, I'd probably put him in the nickel, and then I'd probably see what you have in Kennard outside and William Jackson outside, rather than giving Jake Patrick that much money that you could have used to keep Zeitler. And then your pass rush still is underwhelming. You lost Pekka, which not a huge loss because he's coming towards the end of his career, but your pass rush, you haven't upgraded that at all. It needs to be upgraded. Uh, definitely look for that during the draft. Your linebacker corpse is is really not good anymore. Dansby's gone now. He's he's a free, undersigned free agent. Ray Maluga is washed, fought out washed. Uh, Burfett is a great outside linebacker, one of the greatest, but that's the only person in that linebacker core you can hang your hats on. I just think for a team that need to improve off of a surprisingly bad season where I think it's finally the year that you can definitely hang your hat on Marvin Lewis being on the hot seat and rightfully so they didn't do anything to help him out. And they, they, they're for that. They are my loser of free agency so far. And then I got to go with the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, they've lost a lot of players. They lose Ronald Leary, which didn't seem like a big move at the, at the, at the time, but then Doug free retires. So you're probably going to kick with L Collins to his natural position at right tackle. Now you don't have a left guard. Uh, they lost Jack Crawford, who was 
many people might not know him, but he was a very reliable rotational defensive end for that team. You lose Barry Church, you lose J.J. Wilcox, you lose Brandon Carr, you lose Mo Claiborne, who, again, when he was healthy last year, he looked like a top 10 corner, folks. I know when people think of Claiborne, they think he's trash, but when he was healthy and on the field last year, he did look like a top 10 corner. Uh, but you lose those guys. I don't really know. And then you're replacing with Norman Carroll. So it's looking like your corners are going to be Anthony Brown, Norman Carroll, and Orlando Kendrick next year. Your safeties is Byron Jones, who had a 105.8 passer rating with targeting coverage. And then the safety you're probably going to pair next to him. I know the draft is coming up, folks, but right now, Jeff Heath. I mean, your linebacking core is not horrible. Uh, Sean Lee is your best defensive player by far. By far. He does have his injury history. Jalen Smith, who knows how he's going to come off that nerve damage. Uh, I know the Cowboys doctors are the ones who perform his surgery, so they know more than their average fan would, but it's fair to question if he'll bounce back. Anthony Hitchens, not, not a good player. I know a lot of people see what Rob Marion Delaney does with average talent at best. He makes them exceed expectations, but right now, they've lost a lot of their starters. And the people that they have in place to replace them with aren't anything to hang your hat on either. I just don't like what the Cowboys have been doing. Sorry. I just don't. It's not me being biased. I'm naming you the reasons, and if you disagree with them, then okay, I agree to disagree, but... The Cowboys right now are way too confident in their ability to dominate time of possession. You get a full year's film on Dak Prescott. You're going to stack the box regardless because of how good their O-line is against Ezekiel Elliott. You're going to dare Dak to pass it on you, but with more film on him, and you've seen what the Giants do when teams prepare for the Cowboys this year. The first game film they're going to build, bring up is what the Giants did to sweep the Cowboys. And you know what it was? It was stack the box and double cover Des Bryant. Put George Sagans on him with safety help on, on the back. And then they stacked the box. And that's why the Giants swept the Cowboys because they, of all teams with that defense, can adequately do both and not have to worry about anything else to win the game. If you took out, if you take away Ezekiel Elliott from the Cowboys, they most likely will lose. The Giants knew how to do it. They had the secondary to do it. They had the front seven to stack the box and stop Ezekiel Elliott. So when teams are game planning against the Cowboys this year, they're going to go off what the Giants did. And that's why the shock factor of what they did this past season is definitely possible of wearing off. You bring us some great points. Um, we're getting up against it here in time. I know we have our special guest coming on next. So real quick, I'm just going to give you uh, I'm going to give you one quick winner, one quick loser that I have that you did not name um, winners. Uh, I think the Buccaneers personally, uh, they're towards the bottom half of the league when it came to big plays. I don't know exactly how many they did. They had on the season, but they added the deep threat into Sean Jackson who led the league in yards per reception. So finally gives Jameis Winston that deep threat to complement the big body 
that they had on the other side of the field. Um, also, they added his former uh, Redskins teammate and Chris Baker to pair up with uh, Gerald McCoy on the interior line. Uh, and then also they added some some um, some secondary help with J.J. Wilcox of the Cowboys, as you just mentioned. So uh, adding a little bit to the defense and obviously giving a nice deep threat to Jameis Winston. My loser, I uh, it was a toss up between the Redskins and the Cardinals. Redskins, I think are more publicized as being a loser in free agency. So I'll go with the Cardinals and go over what um, they are dealing with as far as their offseason woes. First, they lose Calais Campbell to the Jaguars. Then they lost Tony Jefferson, Marcus Cooper, and DJ Swearinger. They all left in free agency. So it uh, gives them four holes to fill as far as um, starters on their team. They did sign... Uh, Antoine Bethea, but that's not really a significant signing. Uh, they're already reeling from a, a, a poor under 500 team, uh, under 500 season after being one year removed from the NFC championship game uh, with an aging quarterback and uh, entering Larry Fitzgerald's last season. So this has not been a very good offseason. Who knows what they they make of it closing out the offseason with the draft in the last couple weeks of free agency. But to me, the Cardinals really hasn't been spoken of nationally as far as how poor their offseason has been. Just wanted to point that out real quick. Those are great picks. I definitely agree with you with the Buccaneers. I think those are great points that you brought up. I did consider them as one of my winners, but I wanted to keep it short and give you a chance to voice your own opinion as well. And I do agree with you, the Cardinals. Uh, you're looking at Larry Fitzgerald's last year. You're probably looking at Carson Palmer's last year. <clears throat> last year, you would think you would want to win now, and they've done the opposite of that. So I definitely agree with your picks. Those were great picks. All right, ladies and gentlemen, what you've all been waiting for. Time to interview ex New England Patriot, ex Philadelphia Eagle, and ex Atlanta Falcon cornerback Asante Samuel, better known as Pick Six and Deuce. And now for the All 32 featured presentation. <laughs> I am here with former Philadelphia Eagle, Bowler, All Pro, two time Super Bowl champion, cornerback, Asante Samuel. Asante, thank you so much for coming on here and talking to me today. No problem, man. Thank you, man. Uh you know, thanks for for a reason, man. So I'm here with you today and we're gonna get it popped. All right, let's that's what I like to hear. Let's go. So you went for free agency in two thousand eight. You know, you were franchise tagged by the Patriots. You didn't want to play on that tag. No NFL player really wants to play on the tag. Uh, you went to free agency the year after, after having a great season. You're the best free agent on that market, hands down. We all know that. If you look back on that 2008 free agency, you were the number one free agent. Uh, I'm sure you had plenty of interest around the league. So when the Eagles presented themselves as an option, did something go through your mind about this team? Because... You look at their cornerback depth chart. Well, before you signed, they had two starting outside corners with Lido Shepard at the left, Sheldon Brown at the right. 
and his video hands in the slot. Did that cross your mind at all? Like, maybe I, I'm wondering why they're interested. Like, or did Andy give you any kind of insurances? Or who did you talk to to make you feel like this would be a good fit for me moving forward in my career? Well, with all due respect, and I'm not here to, you know, uh, throw any, anybody under the bus or nothing like that. I just want to get that, make that straight and make that clear. With me, I'm nothing but the truth guy, and I just tell the truth. And when you tell the truth and you keep it real, there is you can't be you can't be uh, penetrated. You understand what I'm saying? So I'm just moving forward from there. So okay, so first of all, for, foremost, Eagles was you know the most interesting team to come after me and, and the first team to contact me and be serious about uh, serious signing. Now for I'm gonna I will forever thank the Eagles organization, Mr. Lori, Andy Reid. For signing me and signing me to a big contract and changing my life and my family's life forever, I'm forever thankful for that. Period. All right. So now, with me picking a team, with Eagles being the team coming at me first, their reputation for winning, you know, winning and almost, you know, winning Super Bowl. You know, we lost to us when I played for the Patriots, but making it to the playoffs numerous of times and stuff like that was definitely. Uh, a reason for me picking my my decision. Um, I definitely want to play for a competitor, but me signing with any team didn't really matter to me because I'm totally confident in God. And no matter what the media portray and however whoever they decide to market, I watch every player and I know that nobody can pay to to the level that I play on. You understand what I'm saying? So me going anywhere, I knew that I would outshine and outdo anybody. So that never. I never played a mind. I just like, yeah, there'd be some good guys, cool guys to play with, you know what I'm saying? And I knew eventually one of the guys would have to leave, you know what I mean? So when you got into that cornerback uh, room, I mean, as you just said, you knew one of those guys was gonna have to keep was gonna go eventually. So, and I I, I know Lido knew it. I know Lido Shepard knew the writing was on the wall for his tenure with Philadelphia, but they did keep him your first season there. How did that all pan out in the cornerback room? Was it strict, strictly business, or did, was there any type of tension? Did you feel anything, or was it just straight football? Yeah, I, I don't really like you know feel the tension and all that type of stuff if, if people have it or whatever. Because like I said, it's, it's strictly business for me. And I like I said, I, I know this. You signed me all this money to come in and, and show you what I can do and produce. So I know I'm the man. You know, period. I'm the man. Before you sign, I'm the man. Before you sign me, I'm the man. When you sign me, that's just my mindset. So, you know what I mean. So I'm re- I'm ready to to get in there and, and, and show what I can do. As far as let me cover the, the second part of the conversation. As far as the leadership role and all that stuff, you know, Brian Dawkins um, when he left and all that stuff, and when he was there, um, me, uh, everybody's a leader in their own way. Brian Dawkins and me, we're kind of like the same leader for the most part. He he's not a he's not a rah rah guy where he got to talk to the media act like he's being a leader and all that stuff like that's not leadership that's talking to me that's I, you know what I'm saying we go out and show our leadership skills he does his thing his his way I mean he goes 100 percent to the ball every play he practices hard he does all the extra stuff you know what I mean mm-hmm. he talks when the team needs to be talking to and all that stuff me I run my mouth I come I talk to the reporters I talk trash to the coaches I talk trash to the players. And what that does is that holds everybody accountable. So when if I see you slacking out there and I'm calling you out, you don't want to be embarrassed. And with me, I'm talking I'm talking shit every day. I'm talking trash every day. So 
I only I got to hold myself accountable. So if I'm talking trash, of course the bullseye is always on me. So that makes me hold myself accountable and go out there and, and practice my heart out and, 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 and keep it at a high level every day. So that's, you know, pretty much how that goes in a nutshell. Yeah, so like you just brought up, when Dawkins was here, the type of leader he was, so then he leaves the season after you're there, and you really assume that leadership role. How do you, like, you're, you're talking all this stuff about how everybody would answer to you or you would make sure everybody was accountable for their play and you made sure you stepped it up. How how did, like, did that gel well in that locker room? Did everybody answer to you that way? Did everybody go around? Because, I mean, for the big changes that the Eagles made at cornerback throughout your tenure with Sheldon going being gone, Demetri Patterson coming in, all these changes at corner happened during your tenure, they really had to depend on you a lot to be the guy, to be the guy to hold it all together. So can you just explain how that went down, like how did, how you felt like you really accepted that role and, ex- and really expanded yeah. it? Yeah, being being like you say, I'm 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 the more I'm I'm the more outspoken guy of everybody, like I said, and all that stuff. So yeah, people come to me when when they think there's a problem going on or they, they you know, they, they think somebody needed to be uh you know, pushed a little bit or somebody's getting beside themselves or or they feel like the coach is doing it, yeah, they always come to me and, and I analyze things and we we'll go from there. So you know, that was always a situation, and, you know, and Brian Dawkins was a part of those things, but like you said, when he left, yeah, it was, it was mainly, you know, you know, uh, I, I was one of the one of the guys that most people came to, so, you know, that was pretty cool. They traded on to be nabbed as a 2009 season to the Washington Redskins, as you know. Uh, they plan on going with Kevin Cobb to start the season. That doesn't pan out right away. Have the biggest injuries. Michael Vick steps in. Like you're fine. Before all that happens, let's go back to the Nat trade. With all these changes the Eagles went through, because again, you signed with the team that had Brian Westwick, that had Brian Dawkins, that had Nat. It looked like they were in place to compete for a while, especially after that uh, NFC Championship run against the Cardinals. Did you mm-hmm. ever question the direction this team was going in? Because that's a lot of changes that this team went through. Well, I know business is business, and um. Money is always part of business, and you know in the NFL they look at age and stuff like that. And one thing I learned from from the Patriots and Belichick is is everybody's gonna go through a situation if you play long enough. So you know I already I already knew that, so that wasn't really a big thing when they was leaving in the direction when they was going. But when they started signing all those players, that's when a situation became about. Okay, yeah, let's get more into that. So, basically with the Eagles, three Pro Bowls, second-team All-Pro, led the league in interceptions in 2009, he led the NFC in interceptions in 2010. Really, 2010 is arguably one of your best seasons as a corner. Then comes the 2011 offseason after the lockout. The Eagles make the move for Dominic Rogers Cromartie, bringing him in here. So, everybody assumed... It's going to be you and DRC, which a lot of fans were hype about. Then the next day comes, and they signed Nam Osmond to that huge $60 million deal. What was your initial reaction after hearing these moves? All right, let me let me cover let me cover all those all those things. Okay, so first, yeah, 2010. I think that was probably my best year as a cornerback. Not just my best year. I would like to compare that to any cornerback that ever played the game. 
with the with the percentage of twenty percent. If if you throw the ball my way, it was twenty percent chance the ball was getting intercepted. I think that's a hell of a stat, so I would like to compare that against anybody. I've researched though; it is literally the best year of any cornerback on statistical record. It is the best year. That's what I'm saying. Like, like that's unbelievable. You know what I mean? Like, not the ball, not not caught, but you know, being that I I wasn't a media guy and I didn't use the media to pub me up and stuff like that. That they didn't pub me up like that. That that should I should be known as the best cornerback to ever played the, the game. You know what I mean? All these records and things I've done. You know, the the ones that they say is the best. I would like to compare my my stats and my records, and we'll see. You know what I mean? Like, I got a year that nobody can compare to. So moving right along. So now they sign all these players. They, they, it's, it's correct me if I'm wrong. They signed DRC first, right? They, yeah, they traded for DRC first because for for the Cardinals with Kevin Cobb. And this right. is a couple. This is like two days before they signed Nami, so everybody was already had the assumption that it was going to be you at left, DRC at right, and that was really exciting time for Philly because again we lost Sheldon Brown, so Demetri Patterson was in there. The safeties were questionable, so everybody was hyped that they got DRC. And two days right. later they signed Nnamdi, and everybody starts questioning what's going on. Right. All right. So, all right. Yeah, the uh, Eagles. They're probably going to hate me for this, but I'm not going to get too far into details. Because I'm coming out with the book, and the book is going to be called The Art of the Interception. And the book is basically going to be talking about how all these interceptions changed my life for the better and helped me put me and my family in a better situation. So now, right? So they signed DRC, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, or trade him or whatever, whatever. A lot of people don't know this is the back, this is behind the scenes what goes on. A lot of people don't know. My mama died, right? I don't, a lot of people don't know from Philly that my mama died because she died when I left and went to Atlanta. But she got sick when mm-hmm. I was with the Eagles. Now, I mean, now, now, mind you, my mom, it was just me, my mom, my sister, my whole life, never dealt with, with nobody dying close to me. I mean, being sick, you know, where there is no recovery, you know, in, in my life. You know what I'm saying? It's, my mom was pretty much all I got. So she gets sick. And it's time for me to to go or, you know what I mean, somewhere or do something. And I'm like, you know what I mean? I'm not going to go into too much details, but I'm like, I can't go. I can't, I can't come. I, I, I can't make it. You know, this, this is a situation. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And the rest is history. I go into detail more in my book. So if you read between the lines, you know what I mean? I don't know if it's a power struggle or, you know, I got to get my details correct, you know, people, you know, if they was upset at me, me not. You know, people don't realize I missed a week of, I don't know, was training camp I missed? Yeah, it was other- training camp. I was going to ask that later. But, yeah, you did Yeah, you did miss training camp. They, the team excused it as a personal reason. Uh, now I think everybody knows why since you just pretty much announced why. Uh, yeah. And it was a struggle about where I need to be and where I should be while my mama was going through this situation. So I was really, I was really yeah, bad. I know I don't want to go into too much detail because I do want to read this book, and I know you don't want to spoil anything for this book. So, But just for the record, you did not miss training camp because of the acquisitions the Eagles made. You missed training camp for an exact personal reason. It was a personal reason because, again, I want you to know the Philly media painted the picture that you missed time they pointed the they pointed the fingers at these acquisitions for you missing time, and you're 
you're saying that's not true at all. There's no way I missed because of your mother's passing. My mother was sick at the time. Yeah, she was uh she was diagnosed with ALS, um, Lou Gehrig's disease. A lot of people don't know what it is, and a lot of people do know, but you can research it later. And yeah, so she later passed on. So yeah, that was that was like you know, it, uh, it, just a mother period, you know, and a mother that was just all you had, you know, that's all you grew up with. My mother's from Mississippi, and she lives in Florida, so we don't have no family. Like literally, just me, my mom, and and my sister. So that was like. You know, I was ready, really ready to quit. My mom had to tell me to go. You know, I was, I was like, I'm done. Like, I, I can't leave you. You know, so, mm-hmm. so I eventually came, and you know, I, I, I really thought that it, me and DRC would have been great. You understand what I'm saying? Like I said, no disrespect. I'm not taking no shots. None of that. But I really thought me and DRC would have been great. You know what I mean? I could have molded him a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Me and him on one side, and you know. We could have did good things. That's what it was. That's exactly what was presumed to happen. Because again, like I said, they they treated him a couple of days before they signed Nandi, so nobody saw it coming with them signing Nandi at all. There was no reports about it whatsoever. So everybody was writing their articles about how young DRC is, how he's a Pro Bowl corner, how he's coming into his own, and they looked at you as a mentor figure to him. And really, the comparisons for Troy Vincent and Bobby Taylor, who were an earlier tandem in Eagles history, started coming up because, like, like again, we all know the talent that you were at corner, an elite corner. And you see a young guy like DRC coming into his own. It, people were really excited for it. I, I, I know you had to, I know you had all this stuff going on, but at the same time, like, you, you were aware that they brought in DRC. And like you're saying, you, you did believe that you guys could be great. So... When you hear they sign Nandi, I know, again, like you said, you believe you're the best competition out there. You're the best one in the room, as any football player should think. It's great to have that type of confidence. But, again, I mean, you, you had to think, like, this is not right. I don't like how this is going out now. Yeah, so when they signed Nandi, I automatically knew that it was a situation. Because I understand business. I understand I'm making $10 million a year, and they just paying him eleven, twelve million million, $12 million a year. So, they can't waste all that money at one position. So I understood that I would have to leave. You understand what I'm saying? I, I, I figured that couldn't work out. Now let's go back to the tweet that I put out. When you sign with the the Philly, you have to show that you can play because Vase Squazi, right? Mm-hmm. That, those are the reasons I, I put those things out there because that's like, you sign me, I give you four. I, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't, I'm not. I'm not really sure what it is, but 24 picks in tw- in four years, or whatever it was, 23 picks. Yeah, something like that. So, how in the hell you decide that's not good enough? Let's get rid of this guy. What the well, fuck? Especially after that 2010 season. I, that's where everybody's scratching their heads at this. That, that 2010 season, we knew that they needed to bring in more secondary talent because. Let's just face it, Dimitri wasn't panning out next to you. The safety needed some help. So we it was expected they bring in another corner. But after the season that you had in 2010, so I guess everybody really didn't understand what was really going on. So, I mean, you, do you feel like – I would feel disrespected if I was put in those shoes just because of how great you were. You know, like you said, with all those stats coming off the best season of your career, you, 
I know you had a lot personally going on, so you probably didn't dwell on it as much as maybe the average person would think you did. But something had to something had to click in your head. So when you come back to training camp and you had those conversations with Howie, Jeffrey, and Andy, was there any trades brought up? Like, did, was, were you done? Did you want to start over somewhere else because of this? Yeah, I mean, it was all them. They, you know, they 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 put it as if we had a lot of corners. So, you know, uh, uh, teams are inquiring about our corners. So. You know, I read between the lines. Of course, you you, you trade, you, you shop me in. And Detroit Lions, we almost did a deal with Detroit Lions that first year, but you know we didn't go through, so we we played it out. You know what I mean? But but like I said, man, do I feel disrespected? Yes, I will forever feel disrespected. Not only for me, for you guys. Like, you know, I put my heart, my passion out there. You know what I mean? And you know, I I gave you guys nothing but excitement. Uh energy, fun, and for, for for them to do to me, my family like this, like, like that, and you guys like that, yeah, that was just a, a crazy situation. And then to not even have one, one 10% of the replacements even, you know what I mean, give you guys back the excitement was just like crazy, just like, we could just, it's just kind of like the Chip, Chip Kelly thing, you know what I mean? It's crazy. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, I have though. I feel the same way. I yeah, think I think fans. Kind of like a, it's kind of like a power struggle. Like they always say, it was like a power struggle. Like I, I said, think man, the fans I can relate to what you're saying nobody. there. Cause, go ahead. Yeah, like I said, I'm not taking no shots at nobody. Like I don't hold no grudges against nobody. Whatever. Like I said, all I do, I, you know, I'm speaking. Nobody never heard my story, my side. I'm just talking and telling the truth. You know, I always let the media. You know, talk about me. I let people, you know, talk about me like I'm an underdog. They say I'm a zone corner and this and that. You know what I'm saying? Like like the other day, like when I put out the tweet, I'm not a zone corner. I play any coverage. I play, I line up and play and look like I play the same every play so you can, you don't know what coverage I'm in. When I got to Philadelphia, I asked, I asked um, um, Sean McDermott to let's put some cover two in here, give us some change up so we don't have to play man to man he had some temper too they didn't have no temper he didn't know what that was he started working it in eventually but it was no temper too it was all man to man coverage period so for people to say i'm a lone corner this and that these guys are crazy yeah so what, let's go more into that you had all this say in the coverages and like you just said you played well in man you played well in zone you played all these types of schemes, whereas Namdi comes in, and you could tell he was not really used to playing man coverage, and that's what you're saying the Eagles really mostly did. I don't, I don't want to speak for after you left here because things could have changed, but that's where this is where I get my loss at. They felt, I mean, they basically felt that Namdi was an upgrade over you, which obviously was not. They were wrong. So, so let me. So let me. So that 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 goes back to my my tweet. Like I said, you can have all this hype. The market, they, NFL, can market you, talk about you, this and that. You know what I'm saying? Whatever, whatever. But when you come play on the opposite side of me, they're not throwing the ball at me. They don't want to take too many chances at throwing at me. In my production meetings, Chris Collinsworth 
would tell me, you're the most feared man in, in, in football. The quarterbacks are terrified. He will never say that, you know, live on TV, but he'd tell me that. You know, people don't want to market me, whatever. So when you play on the side of me, you got to show up and all that stuff that you got to play. So either you're good or you're not. So it's going to show. And I'm going to go deeper in that. You know, Andy Reid know, and and, and and he knew what was going on. He knew, like I say, I'm, 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 I'm energy. I'm a leader. I practice hard. And he would try to get me no disrespect to get the other cornerbacks, you know, to practice hard. You know what I mean? Like, you know, most of them, son, talk to him. Show him how to do this. Show him how to do that. I'm like, dude, you just paid this dude more money than me. What you talking about? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> I mean, I don't think there. I mean, I know you're not you're not being disrespectful, but I, it's very known on record that the effort that Namdi gave during his Eagle senior, which again, we're not disrespecting, we're not calling anybody out, but he, I, this does not this will not surprise anybody hearing this. Because he just he looked disconnected from the team throughout his tenure with them. Uh, again, there's reports he was eating out lunch in his car. He he just was so disconnected from the team. I mean, it's just it's I, it's just a baffling situation. I think that nobody in Philadelphia can answer when they bring up the Sante Samuel and Amdi Oswald and the DRC situation. There's always a question mark of what went down, what happened. So, do you, in your personal opinion. It looks like Andy Reid favored you. It sounds like Andy Reid favored you. I don't want you to burn bridges or point fingers or hold grudges, but Howie Roseman did take over as the general manager of this team in 2010. This 2011 offseason has his fingerprints all over it. Do you think Andy agreed with these moves? Man, all my bridges are burned with those guys. Those guys don't want to deal with me. They can say hi and act like it's cool. Andy Reid, Howie, Sean McDermott. Those guys don't want to deal with me, you know, and I know that for a fact. I contacted those guys. You understand what I'm saying? So they don't want to deal with me. Yes, those bridges are burned. But um, yeah, I don't know who who I did was who had the power. Like I said, it's a power struggle. Somebody decided that I want to get a Sante back. Well, I don't care what he done for this team. So you know, life goes on, and nothing I can do about it. You know what I mean? I just. They say they want to get rid of me. Hey, what I said in the news, uh, hey, I, I just want to go where I'm wanted. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to be nowhere that where I'm not wanted. That's, that's just how it is. So did you feel any awkwardness or tension with Nandi at all? <laughs> man, like I say, man, you know, no disrespect, man. That's just, yeah, yeah, the media can have those stories and they can – I, I'm really not going to speak on that. Y'all could live through the media and whatever they said and all that. <laughs> all right, that's fair. Enough. That's fair. That's fair. So the 2012. Cool dude. Cool guy. Cool dude. Cool dude. Cool dude. Cool dude. Off the field, you know. We we had lockers right next to each other, so you know. I think I probably talked to him more than anybody. I, I would imagine. I think. He kept it professional. That's what I, I mean. That's what people expect from football players. So it's glad to hear that. You kept it professional no matter what. Uh, Philadelphia was, I mean, the fan fan base would definitely appreciate that. So, the 2012 offseason hits. They basically come to you and say, hey, Sante, we need to end this now. Yeah. And let me tell you, man, I, I think I think that was another dirty part on my, on, on, where, where it was a shot at me, you know. This is my opinion, you know. If, I'm, I'm going to teach the fans a little bit about business, right? Okay. So, mm-hmm. they want to trade me, right? 
Yep. So everybody got families to take care of. Andy Howie, everybody got families to take care of. So I'm saying, Andy, you want to trade me, you already got to be known. Let's do it now when the beginning of free agency hits so I, so every team has money so I can go out there and get a fair deal for the fair market value so it's not all gone. No, he mm-hmm. wouldn't do that for me. He waited to almost the end towards training camp to trade me for a seven-round pick to barely have a trade for me and barely some money out there for me where I have to just take with, with, with whatever. I had two choices, you know what I'm saying? And I took it now. And if they would have let me go in the beginning of the race, I could have I I done good. I could have got a better contract. And I had it could have better than been in a better situation. That's all I had asked for Andy and, and the Eagles, and they wouldn't do that for me either. That's insane. That's insane. I can't believe that. I know. I I I do know that. I I do recall that they waited towards really the draft to get this done so they can get a draft pick compensation for you. Like I say, man. Like I tell you, I'm gonna tell you that this for. And so you know, I'm I'm not a liar. I don't exaggerate. I just tell it like it is. And everybody everybody knows that about me. And sometimes that gets me in trouble. And sometimes it it, it gives me a peace of mind. <laughs> Yeah, it, hey, I mean, I definitely believe everything you're saying. I know the situation with Fishy. Uh, the Eagles really, I want to say that they really stepped on, like they went tiptoes around the situation. Uh, nobody really understands what went wrong. Philadelphia is all focused on what went wrong with Terrell Owens and Donovan McNabb, but I think the I think this is up there with the biggest mysteries of what the case of Sante Samuel because, like, like, like you pointed out, like I pointed out, you. We're an amazing playmaker for the Eagles. You lived up to every cent of that deal that they signed you to in 2008, and out of nowhere, it ends. Out of nowhere. And the the guys that they bring in, I I I did something. I gave Andy Reid, and I used to tell him this. I said, Andy Reid, I gave you the most interceptions in one year that you ever had as a cornerback. He's brought up Bobby Taylor and um Vincent and Troy Vincent. But I think I had like nine, and I think most of those guys ever had was seven. You know what I mean? So I used to like let them know, like, dude, don't, don't not appreciate me just because of whatever reason. Like, you better realize what's going on. You know what I'm saying? Like, dude, you're not appreciating this. You think you you can just go do this again? Just throw some money out here and get another player that can do this? No, man, don't work like that. I mean, it it seems like. In the Eagles' history, they purposely load up at the cornerback position. I mean, again, I'm going to point out when they had Troy Vincent and Bobby Taylor, they still didn't hesitate to draft Lito Shepard in the first round in 2002 and then Sheldon Brown in the second round, where they had Al Harris on the roster as well. And then when they signed you, they have a pretty stacked corner group. And then they go into the 2011 offseason and do this all over again, reloading the cornerback group. I think, I mean, I know a lot of people say you can't have enough corners, but there is a point where you can have too many number ones, and eventually it doesn't work out because, again, in, like, all these instances, the next season, these guys always end up leaving. Or or, or you could think you have a number one, or what is the number one in your eyes? Because I'm a number one, and if you want to compare number one to me, then I look at it like, no, then, then you don't have too many number ones like that. That's just me telling 
uh, how I, I view watching other cornerbacks play and comparing my stats. You know what I'm saying? If you mm-hmm. want to put all us number one, they got to be different levels of number one because ain't nobody just number one with me with what I'm doing out here. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I agree completely too. Because, right. I mean, it, I, I've noticed throughout your tweets over the years, you pay attention to the Eagles very closely. You still keep an eye on football, which – Wait, wait, let, let me t- – let me touch that too. Let me touch on that real quick. Let me see that. Okay. My Eagles fans, right? Eagles take over my Twitter because when I my my financial advisor at the time started me a Twitter, he was like, Watch this man, watch how you get all these fans. So I started Twitter when I when I when I signed with the Eagles. So that's why uh Eagles rule my Twitter pretty much. Now don't get me wrong, I love my Eagles fans, of course y'all know that. I love my Patriots fans. I love my Atlanta fans. It's all love everywhere, but you guys rule on my Twitter. <laughs> so, you so yeah, going back to the point, but, yeah, I, I think Eagles Twitter would love to hear that because, I, again, everybody still loves you here in Philadelphia. You still have a huge fan base. Maybe I, I can people... do a signing one day. You, you promote it since, since this is my first interview, I guess, since I left or whatever. <laughs> Oh, I would love to do that, man. That'd be great. Because, again, <laughs> I, I, after everybody saw that, you tweeted me that we're going to do this interview. Everybody's been hitting me up saying, hey, yo, tell us Santa, I said, what's up, man? Tell him we miss him in Philly. Ask him if he wants to come back right now because we need him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been seeing all that. It's all fun, man. I love it. But since you left, again. I just hate, man. I just hate the way it ended, man. It was just, like, so sad. Like, you know, it just went so fast. Like, you know, like, man, I was. You know, we're supposed to keep doing good things. I'm supposed to, you know, keep running interceptions for inter- for touchdowns. Like I went to Atlanta, first year in Atlanta, five five interceptions, one for a touchdown. Um, take the team to the playoffs. They haven't went past the first round of playoffs, and 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 guys know how long. You know what I mean? That's my mm-hmm. leadership. That's my energy. That's my play. You understand? Like people underestimate that stuff. You understand? Like. I mean, they can't underestimate you, though, because, again, you went – when you started in New England, fourth-round draft pick, come out of nowhere, you, the pay, you you really replaced Ty Law in New England. And then you go yeah, to – and then you go to Philly. You, Little Shepard, I mean, everybody considered him to really agree corner with all the interceptions and return for touchdowns that he did. He had a bunch of highlight plays. You knocked that out of the water. And you, now, yeah, now you're talking I- about Atlanta. You go to Atlanta, you, you help them get to the playoffs. You bring an injury to them that they really didn't have before. Mm-hmm. It's just the impact you had on the game. I can't believe how under the radar it's flown. Yeah, man. I, I, I You know, and then, you know, I, I'm going to take it back. And then, you know, I got 58 interceptions, including the playoffs. I got some some uh, analysts on that played the position that be on TV. Never gave me one shout out. Because, you know, whatever, they, they're haters or whatever. Then you got, uh, I'm going to call him out. Was it Charles Woodson? I don't want to say the wrong. Rod Woodson. He was an analyst. And then when I was when I was you know, doing my trade and all that stuff, oh, this guy will not. He's a system corner, zone corner. I remember all this stuff. You know what I mean? He, 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 but then after one year at Eagles, he came. He had to apologize. You know what, Zon, you know what Sante? I'm sorry. I apologize. I called you out. I, I was wrong. You know what I mean? But that's just. And he, he he already made the big statement that I'm a zone and system corner, but he didn't come back out and say I was wrong to the media. This guy's a complete. He can do it all, you know. But he had he come to me, and, you know what I mean? Whatever, whatever. 
Because so, I did see I did see someone tweet you that you were just a zone corner, which I mean, again, if you're an Eagles fan, you know that you were not just a zone corner because the Eagles barely ran zone; they ran man, and you performed at a high level at that, no matter what. Still, you you be, held Tyshield Burton just because I decide to back off the guy doesn't mean I'm in zone. I could still be a man. I just don't want you to know what coverage I'm in. You understand what I'm saying? And you don't want to hit the quarterback's hand. Exactly. It's a game of chess out there. Because, I mean, you look back on your tenure with Philadelphia, you kept Plasco Burst in check like you mentioned. You played very well against Terrell Owens when he was on the Cowboys. You really locked down Santana Moss. You really brought that swagger to the Eagles secondary that, I mean, again, I cannot think of a corner that has the type of swagger and impact that they had on the Eagles secondary in the team's history. Even looking back at Eric Allen, even looking at the guys that we mentioned, Taylor and Vincent and Shepard and Brown. Honestly, yes. I felt like you made – Sheldon Brown was incredibly underappreciated also during his Eagles career. Yeah. Sheldon Brown, along, sorry to cut you off, he's a very solid cornerback. Uh, love playing with him. He does his thing, man. We, we had some good times together. Yeah, this, here's my point. When he was with Lito, he flew one of the Raider. He comes in with you, and like you said, quarterbacks did not want to throw your way because they were worried about the interception. So they throw a Sheldon, and he played lockdown pretty well too. So, again, there's many examples of when you came into a team, you made the people around you better. Yeah. And, see, that's, and see, that's a that's a goal to the marketing. So you guys, see, they'll say a lockdown, lockdown, this person lockdown, lockdown. While I'm looking at the market, the, the, the media, and they stand these things, but I'm looking at these guys. I watch all of them play. Then I'm looking at the stats. I like to – yeah, I produce a lot of big plays and interceptions, but I like to look at the percentage of the balls being caught on you, how many touchdowns you're giving up. You know what I mean? All that stuff's matter. You can have 10 interceptions and gave up 20 interceptions. That ain't good. You ain't a good corner to me. Just because you're sticking T.O. on Monday night, but they're giving you uh, – he gave you 120 yards. That don't mean you did good just because they talk about it good. That don't mean you did good. No, you didn't do good. I don't care what nobody says. You understand what I'm saying? So I definitely understand. Your job as a corner is to keep guys out of the end zone. That's yeah. If you the interceptions are great plays because I mean again you're really giving your team opportunities to win with those interceptions. But as long as you're keeping a guy out of the end zone, oh, that's the main goal as a cornerback. And I think people really. Underrate that aspect because again, I saw some of the tweets to you. People were like, "Well, you weren't a good tackler," which I think is the biggest myth of your career. Yeah, for sure. You weren't a tackler. For sure. Let me tell you a thing about the tackling, so people can understand that. All right, this is my tackling. This is the way I tackle. This is how I stay and play ball. When it's a one on one on tackle, you could be three hundred pounds. I don't care who you are coming straight at me. It's no problem. All I gotta do is hit you low or whatever. Take my shot. And do my thing, but it's when it's a big pile of people and it's a running back and it's three of us coming. And I'm too small to be jumping in there and getting folded up by three linebackers and a lineman and a running back. Oh, y'all, y'all make the tackle and I, if he break away, then I jump on his back. You know what I mean? Whatever. Like, mm-hmm. and the other cornerbacks completely say how they don't tackle, but nobody gives nobody else no no ruddick about it. You know what I mean? And I got bigger hits than. Probably any cornerback ever played the game, going back to my Patriot days. You know, like, I've been knocking people out all my life. So, uh, I, I do remember Eagles versus Giants, one in football. I believe it was. The receiver, 82. Uh, yeah. It wasn't, was it, it wasn't Manningham. 
Yeah, yeah. I remember you you knocked him out with your shoulder pads. You wouldn't you hit sticked him very well. And that's what the play stick out to me a lot because you like you just said, you did do that with the Patriots as well. You had those hit stick tackles. So uh I think that's the most biggest myth of your career is when people talk about you, they talk they bring up your tackling. Well again, like you said, corners don't really tackle running backs. It's very rare. They have that highlight play. Like again, people believe Sheldon Brown was a great tackler because they brought up the highlight of him knocking out Reggie Bush. Right. Brought up the highlight of him knocking out Stephen Jackson. But again, there were times where he did whiff. Right. So, exactly. But every cornerback whiffs. Every cornerback in the NFL has whiffed before. And then to, you know, a lot of times people don't realize. Like I have finger and neck and shoulder problems. I took shots in my shoulders and stuff to play to go out there and play in the game. So. Sometimes I might have a stinger, but I know I might not can make too many tackles and I ain't finna go out there and, and re-injure it. But as long as I stop, they ain't catching no balls over here or I'm intercepting the ball, I'm helping my team. So I'm, I'm making a sacrifice for my team, but people don't realize I might can't tackle as good, but I'm going to give you better with the playmaking. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, I understand for sure. So. so now that you have been in retirement for a couple of years, I know that you've been able to look back on your NFL career and whatnot. I don't want – I know you probably could describe this in your book, so I don't want you to go in, into much detail with this, but when you look back on your Eagles career, would you say you made the best choice signing with this team compared to what else was out there for you? Did Did you feel like maybe this might not have been the right move with how it ended or no regrets? Yeah, no regrets. I think definitely was the best decision. Um, uh, it was a great, great four-year run. We played some great ball. I had to play some great competition. Um, you know, I had some, met some love, some loyal, crazy, uh, fantastic fans. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, man, I, 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 I wouldn't trade that for the world, man. That, those experience and those plays and me intercepting the ball and just, Looking in the stands of all those people, man. I know people be looking at my Twitter and just want to cry sometimes. I be wanting to cry sometimes looking at the tweet. We miss you, come back. Like I feel you guys. Like I really feel it. Like I, I feel the love. I, I know it was a, it was a misfortunate situation, unfortunate situation what happened, and I feel you guys, man. <laughs> hey, I got a son. I got a son coming up. Maybe I saw that he's looking. Yeah, he, I him. saw that he's looking at Ohio State. Is that still going on? Or yeah, he got a few schools. He, he keep me out of his business. He don't want me in his business. So, <laughs> so you know how that go, whatever. So I mean, but hey, he plays just like me. Making hey, he go get that ball. I mean, at this point, he might be the next Eagles' number one corner. Because again, I, I know that you definitely be keeping tabs. You've been the last solid corner for the Eagles. Yeah, since since 2003, I'm I'm still the second leading, second or third leading intercepting uh, player in the league, and I and I've been done three years. Come on, man! <laughs> <laughs> so, did you watch the Eagles much this year? Yeah, I watched them. I watched them. I watched them. I watched them pretty much. I mean, my my question to you is, what do you think about this Jalen Mills kid? Which is that number thirty one? Yeah, thirty one. Yeah, I think he's pretty solid. I think he could be all right. I think he'd be pretty good. You know, let me go back and and, and, and touch up on things too, right? 
Okay, mm-hmm. let me. I'm, I'm, I'll say a few things, but follow me. Marcus Peters over there with Kansas City. He's a pretty good corner. He's, he he does it. You know, he, he does a pretty good job. A lot of coaches out here doesn't really know how to coach techniques properly for a cornerback. They're starting mm-hmm. to learn more and more. But when I was coming up, a lot of people. I played. I played quarterback my whole life. I never played cornerback. Then I and then I when I went to college. Then I, my first year playing cornerback, I had a I had a coach named Gene Chiswick. He coached Cam Newton to the championships at Auburn. He went to Texas, you know, a few places. That guy taught me technique to play cornerback, and that was all I needed. Everybody else, any NFL coach, any other coach, could not teach me. It didn't match up. Everything he taught me was all I needed from the T steps and you know the way I play it it shows. So with that being said, it's it's gonna be hard to get that uh you know, you could get you could get some good cornerback play but you know that it is just the teaching ain't ain't there like like I think it should be. See, I've been preaching this for a while because I've noticed when you're a rookie corner coming into the NFL, I think next to quarterback, it's the hardest transition to make. It you is. You agree with that? Yeah, you would agree? Yeah, I agree. And you know why? Because, like I say, they, they're not really teaching you that. They're only teaching you schemes. You understand what I'm saying? They're kind of expecting you to know how to play already. You understand? Mm-hmm. So, you a, lot of, a lot of Eagles fans get on Mills because, like you said earlier, he, he gave up – a good amount of yards, but he kept guys out of the end zone. For a rookie, I thought that was pretty pretty good because, again, he had Leotis McKelvin and Nolan Carroll with him, and those guys aren't anything to hang your hat on, no disrespect to them, but let's just be honest. So, I mean, I would say that he has a, a, a pretty decent future. I mean, you knowing the position, you playing the position, and you paying attention to the Eagles still – you would happen to agree? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think you have a pretty good future. But if you if you guys go around comparing and and having expectations of of other players from you know comparing to other players, then no, nah, man, you're losing the battle. Let let everybody have their own career. You know what I mean? Let them do what they do, how they do it, and then you know accept me for that and love them for that. You understand what I'm saying? Oh no, that's perfectly said. Because I mean, I think you mentioned Marcus Peters. I think every time I hear Marcus Peters, I hear Asante Samuel in the same breath, and I right. just don't see it at all. I don't see the comparisons at all. Just because he's making their sessions, I just don't see it. It doesn't mean he played up to your caliber because at the same time, Peters gives up so, uh, some yards, whereas you you were locked down. You you were locked down first, interception second, really, to me. Right. And not only that, not only locked down, people don't realize it. I might get two interceptions, I mean two two passes a game. I better make a play on one of them because I ain't getting no more. You understand what I'm saying? And I'm still in the 50 club with interceptions. It's been games where when the quarterback dropped back, he looked the other way and don't even peek my side. You understand what I'm saying? But nobody don't talk about that. Well, I definitely understand because back in 2010 during your best season, in a 16-game stretch, you were targeted 41 times. 41 times for 179 yards or something like that? I think, I think it was like a, even less than that. I think it was like in the 140s. Well, he gave up 19 catches. Yeah. In 16 like, games. That's crazy. Well, I'm, uh, let me correct you. I missed a few games. I missed about two games. So, 
you know, 14 games, whatever. But that's ridiculous. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you did play 14 games. But still, even, yeah, not that you're saying even 14 games. That's mm-hmm. even more ridiculous. Yeah, it's even more ridiculous, right? I didn't even think about it like that, right? It's 14 games. <laughs> that's, that's where. So my percentage is probably better. <laughs> that's where, I, see, this is where I have, see, growing up as an Eagles fan, I really was in tune with the team. I paid attention no matter what. When they signed you, I remember coming home from school, going on ESPN, seeing the little breaking news thing in the corner saying, Eagles signed Asante Samuel to a six-year deal. And I was excited as hell because I remember you on the Patriots. I remember watching. I remember making the big plays. You were huge, huge for that AT, for that uh, undefeated regular season for them. So when yeah. the team was bringing you in, especially since I was convinced no matter what, the Patriots would find a way to keep you because I know that there was discussions that they were going to tag you again and you weren't going to sign it and yada, 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 all that business stuff. So I did not expect this to happen with the Eagles signing you. I didn't even expect the Eagles to be interested just because, like I said, with Lito Shepard and Sheldon Brown already on board. So when they brought you in, Philadelphia was excited as hell. I don't know if you remember your press conference, but it was the Nova Care was packed with news guys. You were on every news station in Philly. Everybody had to pause their regular station just to show this press conference of you signing with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was exciting, man. <laughs> I loved it. It was all, it was all what I, what I expected, and, and some more, man. Um, didn't 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 do number show me number love when I first got there. Um, uh, Andy Reid, like I said, day one I stepped on the field. You know what I mean? I know I got a loud mouth. I know I'm I'm a strong willed person, so I just you know, ask Andy like, you don't mind, right? This is how this is what I do. If I'm if I'm if I'm being too loud or I'm or I'm attacking somebody too hard, if you think just let me know and I and I, I'll come down. So yeah, let me do my thing and man, it was awesome, man. Everybody loved it. They just loved it. It it, it made practice more fun. Everybody was even the reporters was ready to come to practice to to come hear me. Oh, absolutely. You had a whole group of reporters around you, no matter what. Every time you had a media session, one-on-one, all the media came to you because they knew you would say something that would make them but, be able to write no, no, but, but, but not that. It's, it's the media when when you step on the field. You know, they're out there for the first 30 minutes or whatever. So they get to see me in action on the field and practice and talking and telling Donovan and Andy Reid that you can't, you can't throw a pass over here. I don't care how much y'all done tried to work on figuring out a way to catch a ball on me today. It ain't going to work, you know, all that stuff. And then, you know, I had the situations with uh, Dunwick, the reporter. Uh, I was going off in him for a while, but that's my buddy now. He's a Hall of Fame voter. Dunwick, make sure I get yeah, vote. Yeah, he better give you that vote. You better be in the Hall of Fame, I swear to God, man. But yeah. that's what I think – the reason why I'm so grateful that you're doing this interview is because I just – I know you probably explained it better in your book, and I understand you wanting the book to speak for itself. I completely understand that. I just think that you how things ended in Philadelphia, how they moved on, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, even to you, it doesn't make sense. So yeah. getting your perspective on it, getting your side is what really makes this interview going to be worthwhile. Everybody's going to want to hear this because – Again, you kept it professional as any football player should. Uh, I, I went back to last night just to make sure hey, I covered my bases. Let me let me let me let me tell you this. 
I kept it professional in front of the camera, but I kept it gangster behind the camera. So that when I when I burn bridges and stuff like that, they don't want to deal with me because I'm not on the camera guy unless you make me go there. I'm coming to your face, to your office. What's re- what's going on? What's really happening? You know what I'm saying? That's the person I am. So, and I, and I did that to Andy Reid. I, I told I said, Andy Reid, till you figure this out, I'm coming to your office every day. And to, and you know what I mean? Like, this is crazy how you handle it. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Uh, but yeah, you really had no comment to the media on this, so nobody really knew what to tell, tell fans and everything. We had to rely on Andy. You know how Andy was hush hushed in the media mm-hmm. too. He said no comment when all this went down with the trade to the Falcons and all this stuff. He just said we kind of move on, but. With the level that you were playing at, it doesn't. It does, you, you don't move on from players like this. But the Eagles somehow find a way to do this because again, Brian Dawkins, when he left for Denver, he was still playing at a high level. Yeah. Uh, even with, with McNabb, I mean, you could see the writing was kind of coming on the wall for him. But still, that was their franchise quarterback for so many years. So, I mean, is it fair to question this organization's loyalty to their star players? Hey, I definitely can say the way they treat me. I can't speak for anybody else, but the way they treat me, the, the law to me was wasn't none. It was we don't give a, you. You're just another person to us. We don't give a fuck. So that's definitely the treatment I got. Well, I mean, we all saw it. Uh, you you pretty much spoke to it very well. Uh, again, I'm speaking with former Patriots, Eagles, and Falcons cornerback. Asante Samuel, two-time Super Bowl champion, cannot leave that out. That needs to be said. And two uh, and two-time interception NFL leader. That should go right behind it. <laughs> first team All-Pro, second team All-Pro. Yeah, and then he didn't talk about that stuff. See how I talk about the you know the marketing and all that, and how the the marketing just. I got it's a year where I got ten interceptions. I think it was a regular season and another two in the, in the play. I didn't even go to the Pro Bowl that year. They didn't even vote me in. Like, what kind of crazy shit is that? Motherfuckers get two and three interceptions, but because they talk in the media and pub, they self up. People go for that and and vote for them. But I, I don't care. That's that's they they can have that. I, I I I never would be that guy. I think what hurt your Pro Bowl cases the most, though, is like you said earlier, people labeled you as system player. Unfortunately, media members labeled you as a system guy all the way dating back to New England. So I think that because as fans, we rely on analyst perception. I don't know if you see on Twitter, but if you had that blue check, fans are automatically listening to you no matter what you say. They're going to – they respect your – they value your opinion just based on that. And like you said, even Darren Woodson had to apologize to you behind the scenes, but he, of course he did not do it out loud because he has – his reputation. Rod, 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 Rod was, Rod was. Rod, Rod, yeah, Rod, not Darren, Rod, excuse me. So, I mean, I think, I, I honestly felt in, as a fan, that the perception that you gave off because of the media, that's just why I feel like you were undervalued. And especially how the Eagles treated you up until the end, I, I really do believe you're undervalued. I think we're all learning that hard lesson now with, uh, the drought that we've had at cornerback. Yeah, you know that that devalues you. Period. When when whenever you want a person want to trade you or trade you for a seven round pick or 
or cut you, release you, that devalues your market value, period. So when people doing, they know what they're doing. When, when, when they hold you, like I said, and trade me for a seven-round pick instead of just releasing me while free agency is going on, you know, people know what they're doing. You know what I'm saying? So that, I, that's my fault. My agent and I, I should have put something in my contract whether I was, whether they had to release me for a certain date or something. So, you know, that's my fault. Well, they could have handled it better, though. We definitely could have handled it better. I mean, I think from a business perspective, I think everybody should realize with the Eagles, when they invested in Namdi and they invested in DRC, uh, teams around the league knew that your tenure with the Eagles was coming to an end. So why would they want to give up huge value for you when they know that they can get you at some point in time? And then here comes the Falcons who have the desperate need a corner who need a guy like you to, like you said, make him put the playoffs. So they took advantage of the Eagles situation and, I mean, that's how it ended up happening. Because I, I, we all know, all the intelligent fans know that you were worth way more than a seventh-round pick. The circumstances were the Eagles had to move on from you. Every team knew that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think they was looking at, like, age and the market and the way they just, you know, the way they was throwing my name out there, like like I'm a, I'm a meat owner. You know, at a at, at a damn auction. You know, Asante Sam is up for trade. Anybody want him? Hey, you know, you know, because those trade rumors started swirling the year really before. When, yeah, the year before, really, when you were uh, missing camp for the personal reasons that you mentioned earlier in the show. Yeah, that stuff don't listen, man. Media don't just come up with stuff out of nowhere. Somebody tells them and leaks that shit. So it's true. Like you know, some of that stuff, most of that stuff, be leaked out. To, to, to help the marketing, you know what I mean? So, Oh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure the Eagles were hoping to trade you after they signed Nandi. Uh, I just, I guess that nothing came to value to them. So I know you mentioned the short lines, but I'm, I'm guessing nothing really came to what they seemed as a respectable offer because uh, you have to at least maintain to the fan base that you're going to get value for, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I never really appreciated how, players have been treated in the NFL, especially a player of your caliber who did nothing but make plays for the Eagles. Right. Exactly. But again, Asante, I'm going to wrap this up real quick because we've been been talking for a while, but I got to let you know, though, I really appreciate this. You were easily my favorite cornerback all the time. Every time I had to watch games on Sundays, it was always you making a play. Uh, You were Eli Manning's favorite wide receiver, in my opinion. (laughs) <laughs> no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> Thank you for coming on the show. I greatly appreciate it, my man.